This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to the winner. It's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with today's interview. I got the chance to talk to John Carney, the director of Flora and Son. It will be in theaters on September 22nd, and then it will be on Apple TV Plus a week after that on September 29th. It premiered earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival. It was also in Toronto last week. So John's really been on the road talking to people about this movie, which is an interesting pseudo-pandemic era story about a uh, mother in Dublin played by Eve Hewson, who winds up taking guitar lessons via Zoom and sparking a a sort of romance with a guitar teacher played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But as we got into this movie and kind of talked to John about how all the pieces fell into place, uh, he got the idea for the Zoom lessons, not from the pandemic, but it was really only the pandemic that made him feel like people would believe the concept of falling in love via Zoom, which is something we're now all too familiar with. Um, But the movie really started as a tribute to his mother. He kind of talks about himself as being a little bit of a hell-raising teenager, kind of like the son uh, of the title that uh, Eve Hewson's character Flora has. His name is Max. Um, And how he kind of found himself via music. Um, And the the flight of fancy this movie takes is that Flora, the mother, also finds herself via music. I'm a real sucker for a mother and son story, which I was happy to tell him as well. Um, And when he made Sing Street back in 2016, he talked about that maybe being his last musical. And Flora and Son isn't really a musical, but he has this kind of abiding belief in music's ability to transform people and build relationships. And that's really present in Flora and Son in a lovely way that you might recognize from his films like Sing Street and Once especially and also Begin Again. I love this movie and I love getting to talk to John Carney about how it came together. So let's hear my conversation with Flora and Son writer and director John Carney. You're freshly back from Toronto, I think, where Flora and Son was playing, um, which I guess was probably pretty different from Sundance because you were there with your whole cast. How, how does being the sole ambassador for a movie uh, with everyone on strike, how does that feel for you? Is it a strange role? Um, I'm surprised that I've risen to the occasion without having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> it's been a huge amount of work and we've sung, you know, we played songs to try and make up for the fact that there was, you know, it wasn't as much of an event without the actors there. We've been on the road, we've been doing rolling press and all of that, but I love this film and this story is personal to me. And so I'm happy to talk about it and I think that's the main thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a mother and I've been a musician 
And I've been a delinquent teenager for a couple of years who was saved by music to a degree and my friends and the people that I was lucky enough to meet. So it's personal to me so I can talk about it. So it's been easier than I expected without the cast. Good. Um, when you were doing press for Sing Street, I think, I don't know if you said this in exact words, but something that like it might have been your last musical and kind of thinking of it a triptych of the films you'd made before. And I don't think Florence Hunt is a musical by any standard, but it does seem like music kind of like pulled you back when you thought you were out. Um, how did how was that process actually for you? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I believe in life. So I keep on banging on about it. And there's a little audience for it, which is great. So as long as that is happening, I still will try and explore musical themes. And as you, you're right, they're not musicals. They are musically themed stories, you know, often about people who, who um, for whom music kind of makes up for something missing in their mm-hmm. life and sort of stops a, a, a gap. So, yeah, so I, 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 you know, I'm a firm believer in that. It's happened to me numerous times in my life that music has bridged something that I've needed and allowed me to cross over to something that I feel like I've needed or someone or um and uh and I think Flora is a case in point you know it's a movie about somebody who discovers that music doesn't just come from like a DJ putting down a needle drop or a but that it actually has an organic starting point which is an instrument which is usually made of you know wood and steel and wire and pegs and mother of pearl and all these elements from the earth, you know, to produce another amazing thing, which is the actual resonance of the notes. Like it's an, it's an amazing thing in life to learn that. It's an amazing gift to get, to get music. You've said that you, you know, the character of Flora really comes from your mother in some ways that you were, you know, that you, this is a tribute to her. Is that, was that the starting point for this film entirely that you were thinking of your mom? Did it start with the character of Flora? Did it start with the idea of a mother and son? Like, what was the, the seed of the whole thing? No, that was the backdrop. Hmm. It was a thing that I was walking around thinking about was, was my mother and our relationship. I wasn't saying to myself, oh, you know, this is my next movie I want to make about my, you know, a relationship between a son and a mother. And then I found this amp in a in a skip and I brought it home and fixed it up and, you know, managed to sort of make music out of something that was somebody else's trash. Hmm. And I thought that's an interesting story. Yeah. Um, and I traded it out for a guitar rather than an amplifier. And then I thought that a woman pulling a guitar out of the trash was more interesting than a guy. Hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> it just told me. You know, a guy pulling stuff out of rubbish is kind of what we do. You know, a woman getting up there and climbing up and dirtying her trousers in her hands to pull this thing out. She's like a very interesting looking character. And you kind of know, you know, you're kind of very interested to see where she goes home with that guitar. Mm -hmm. And that was the image. And And then the son came second. And then I came back to what I'd been thinking about my mother and sort of joined the two things. And then where were we in the pandemic when the idea of Zoom guitar lessons comes up? I'm just assuming this is a pandemic-born thing. Maybe not. Um, but it felt very familiar. Yeah. No, it was before the pandemic that I came up with the central sort of conceit. Yeah. And I then paused the movie with her opening the laptop and meeting Jeff because it didn't make sense hmm. that two people could fall in love or deepen their relationship through Skype or something like that. And then the pandemic hit and I reopened the script and it suddenly kind of had permission to meet, for me to go on to write it. Because hmm. I had paused it and I didn't know 
I felt like I was at a cliff edge with that. I didn't think people would relate to people speaking on screen who knew, who knew what was just around the corner. Yeah. But when that happened, then we got used to that, then I, I returned to the script. Did you have that moment that so many creative people I've talked to had when the pandemic starts where it's like, are we ever going to go see movies again? Is anyone going to go sit in a theater again? It, it felt like many people got really frozen by this enormous upheaval, but it almost sounds like to you, like there was inspiration in it fairly quickly. No, it wasn't actually. That's that's it, That wasn't how I felt. I was gloomy and depressed during the pandemic. And I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel like I'm just carrying on and actually, wow, I'm, I wrote the script as a therapy thing during COVID. And it was actually good to write something about two characters that weren't in the room together. It was kind of good therapy for me. Yeah, yeah. It makes you know you, what I mean? Makes you feel like it's possible again when um, we all had the Zoom fatigue. Yeah, and I, and I, but I do think we're still struggling mm-hmm. after that with, you know, it's, it's really changed people. Yeah. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah, I mean, you've been out on the road with this movie talking to people. You know, I was just in Toronto and I felt like the audiences were in some ways even more enthusiastic than they were before COVID. But there's also a lot of ways where people don't know how to behave anymore. I'm curious what you've (laughs) noticed being out in the world with this movie, maybe more so than seven years ago. I think it's totally changed. Hmm. I think that the way business is done and socializing is done and a festival is actually a very good example because it's a bit of both. It's a mix of people coming together. But it is, it is altered. Yeah. It has, and I think the internet was already changing it in a way. And then the, the pandemic sort of fast-tracked all of that into this strange, strange world where we're like two versions of ourselves a little bit now. Yeah. Well, the way that Flora and Son works with the Internet is really interesting because obviously you've got this very rich connection between them via these guitar lessons. But then you've got the kids in the neighborhood who are filming, you know, music videos on the roof of a car. Mm -hmm. I I guess it's for TikTok. I don't understand enough of TikTok to even know if that's what you meant, but it seemed like it. And no, they were just making a video. I didn't think where it was going. Sure. But it's similar. You know, they're they're making it to post online to kind of present themselves to the world. And I, you know, and I don't think. I think your movies are very not judgmental of characters, but there is kind of this bafflement that you see in Flora there. And I wonder how much that comes 
directly from you about music, something that you love so much and about that being a way that young people are interacting with it that maybe we don't fully understand. At least I don't fully understand. Yeah, the the technology changes the art form and it always has. You know, the 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 inventions and the they have to have an effect on the way we produce work and art and and you know, the constant sharing that everybody is doing now and posting and showing off is affecting what's being made. Mm-hmm. Generally, probably in quite a negative way, but I do think, I just think it's changing. Mm-hmm. But then you get Taylor Swift gigs who, you know, there's more people at than there were ever at. Yeah. So she's cracked the code. She's figured something out. But I don't know if the kind of 1,000-seater or 500-seat venues... Like if you take, you know, years ago, you could be somebody like Leonard Cohen or somebody like that and be making tons of money filling these, you know. Yeah. But you were huge. You were a huge star. Nowadays, there are those things are happening and people are making a living, but we don't know who they are now. Yeah. You, You just know the big three. And then everybody else is like a bottom-feeding, scrappy person on Twitter trying to promote herself or himself, themselves. And then there's nowhere in between. Yeah. So for you, it's less about the style of music as it changes and more about the, the way that people are able to get audiences and express themselves. It's kind of dire. Yeah. I, I, would, I would have thought that, like, you know, the, my advice anyway to film, young filmmakers when they ask me what, what it is, it's like, well, whatever I learned is probably not that helpful to you because it was learned <laughs> yeah. at a different time. I would be liberated to explore not just the movie themes, but the way that you're making the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would be excited by that if I was 17 or 18 now and it was like, I really am a film fan and I want to make films. I would probably start to think about cool ways and interesting, involving ways to show the movies. Mm-hmm. And that that would then affect the way you make, and I don't even know if they're movies. Yeah, do you do you watch stuff like that? Like, do you feel like it's part of your job to kind of keep up on the ways that that's changing, or is that no. up for the next generation? I okay. think I would if I was young, but I think yeah. I'm too I, I I'm too lazy and old, and I have two children, <laughs> so I don't get to to do that. They, they'll they'll teach you eventually. It all comes yeah. back around. Um, but mm-hmm. the way that that Max, the teenage character in this, the way that he's making music is different from what his mom does. Like it seems like they're you're kind of extending out a hand to saying like, look, you're not not every kid's going to pick up a guitar to learn how to music make music he's going to have a laptop and a synthesizer but it all kind of gets them to the same place right exactly yeah because i think in the end of the day it's about harmonizing mm-hmm. and mixing instruments together to make some new sound out of it yeah w- whether or not you share it or whether or not i mean what i like about flora or the movie is that they never they, they do use the internet and computers to create things and to obviously they're using broadband to connect. But the thing that they produce ends up being live. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. They don't, it's not about going and getting Twitter followers or Instagram followers mm-hmm. or getting numbers. It's about having a fucking gig in a pub with yeah. your mates. And you, you know. end, I mean, not to spoil the entire movie, but the way that the, the movie ends with an emphasis on the people watching them, not them. Like it's about the effect they're having on the pe- people immediately in front of them. That's, that's a cool what, way of looking at it. That's what it made me think of. Just like it's about the world around them, not just our characters we've been following. Yeah. 
Um, talking about styles of music, I was so struck by early in the the conversations between um, Flora and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Jeff, where she mentions that she loves James, Blunt, James Blunt's song, and he's so dismissive and such a classic, like, rockist guy. Yeah. And she kind of brushes him off, but I don't know if the movie ever comes back around for him to, like, learn the error of his ways. Like, is there, do you have sympathy for his point of view where he thinks that song is garbage, or does he need to learn to be less pretentious? Like, I couldn't decide where you landed on it. That, well, I, that, that, I'm glad you couldn't because <laughs> what I've realized is my movies are generally sort of tempered versions of things that I want to say. Hmm. Uh, but I, cut, I edit them. I, I make an edit before they become me <laughs> because I, I am quite uh, insufferable and sanctimonious about certain things. And my <laughs> wife is like, oh, shut up. <laughs> and so I basically try to make the edit before you want to say, oh, shut up. <laughs> you know, but Flora does come back to him and she does say, like, is it OK if I like the James Blunt thing? And then he bats it back. It's kind of like a game of tennis. Like nobody, it's not about winning. Yeah. You know, he then says, no, I'm going to de-brainwash you. And that does sound like mansplaining. <laughs> but actually, if somebody said that to me, I'd go, oh, fuck you. But I would also be kind of grateful for it as well because mm-hmm. we need de-brainwashing. On both sides, right? Like you have to be taken off. Some of us have to be taken off our high horse and some of us have to, you know, learn to see, you know, more highfalutin things than you meet in the middle. Like the like the song goes, I guess. They like the sit. song goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, but I like sanctimonious people that are up on their horse a little bit. The more, <laughs> the more I see of the world, I'm like, I've got something to learn. They may be a bit insufferable. Hmm. And I don't know if I'd invite them to every dinner party, but I'm kind of grateful for expertise. That's a good point. And sometimes, you know, in like academia or in, it can be a little bit like, Jesus, you know, a little bit dusty and a little bit opinionated. But it's good to have that in the world as well. And I enjoy the people that I know that are very strident about, you know, don't listen to this, but do listen to this. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know... I listen to those people because they're often as hard on themselves as they are on on you or on the artist that they're that they're talking about. But yeah, you don't want to make a movie about somebody. And a lot of producers have read my stuff and said, "I really liked her speech on page five, but can we cut it before she gets annoying?" <laughs> and you don't try not to take it personally about them. Maybe they're calling you annoying. I don't really mind being annoying. <laughs> It as long as your it, characters aren't. As long, exactly. Yeah. That seems like a good way to live. Yeah. Well, Flora is kind of, she's starting in a different way, right? Like she's very, she's very opinionated, not about art, but about the way that she's lived her life. She's like, you know, kind of brashly moving forward things. And her lack of interest in subtext was so striking to me where every, you know, the minute that she has this first Zoom call, she like immediately takes it way too far. Um, you know, comparing to something like Once where it's entirely about subtext, like she's kind of committed to just like cutting through it with a machete yeah. at every single moment. And I wonder what drew you to that specific aspect of that character who can just cut down all of this atmosphere and tension that you as a filmmaker are working so hard to build and she sees right through it. Yeah, um, it's interesting. She does do that. She's like a cynic sort of sitting on the edges. And any time it gets near something sincere, she kind of blows it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, I do that a little bit. Hmm. But I think we're kind of living in a time, aren't we now, of like, we've had, uh, whatever, 100 years of cinema and, you know, 60 or 70 years of TV. And it's all been collated and organized now. Hmm. And, the, you know, the, the, the votes are in and there's a very recent interesting 
backlash against the conventional tropes of movie making. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of that is women making films and yeah. hearing stories from all around the world, from South Korea and Argentina, you know, not just needing American movies or British pop music or whatever, you know, or whatever. Um, that the tropes, the familiar conventions of like, you know, when you see an 80s or a 90s movie, mm-hmm. you know, you can, in a South Park way, you can like deconstruct it in a really funny way because you can see everything coming. Uh-huh. And that was fine for years because it's satisfying. But recently, I think, you know, there's so many great filmmakers and TV writers and who are so smart that that like and poker face that tv show which i'm just happened to be watching is constantly doing that yeah is like i know you expect this and it should happen but i'm just doing i'm saying the exact opposite and i love that yeah and i don't think i'm doing anything more original than that i think everybody is kind of doing that at the moment there's a great line in poker face i read last night or i was listening to last night which is like somebody's giving her a warning and they're saying there's three things you need to know you know there's three rules about such and such the first two you don't need to know. The third one, <laughs> and it's really because rather than just saying there's one thing you need to know, it's just such a and you that expect it to go one, two, three. Yeah. In that, in the way that you've heard that, you know, so many times in movies, three things: one, blah blah blah; two, blah blah blah; three, that. Yeah. And just that kind of very smart kind of writing that goes actually wouldn't it be funnier if you just eliminated the first two? Yeah. But plot that's happening like to subtle dialogue, but it's also happening to, like, plot and character development and storytelling. And I think that Flora is, it, it does that. And, and at any moments where there's, like, you know, they seem to be coming together in a movie way, she's like, are you coming on to me? Uh-huh, exactly. And she just gets it wrong. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun to watch. And also it's kind of like, I love people who do that. I know a lot of Dubliners <laughs> that do that. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, it's fun. Yeah. Well, how does that affect you in your the way that you write a story, knowing the impulse to tear things down? Because when you're doing a romance, it's either they get together or they don't get together. Or maybe in the future, you know, there's only so many outcomes when you have it between two people. So does that make you think like, oh, I need to zag here? Like, how do you work that into how you write? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I, I uh, I'm a bit tired of the boy meets girl. They sing songs thing, and I'm partly. Part of I've done that, <laughs> but I've always tried to find unique ways of doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in Kira Knightley cycling off on her own at the end of you know between James Corden and Mark Ruffalo or Adam Levine and Mark Ruffalo. I've just realized what an incredibly um, champagne problem those two men <laughs> present to her. She she doesn't she kind of goes off on her own at the end. You know, in any other movie or any other time, she would run to back to Ruffalo or something like that. Yeah. And that would have been satisfying then. Yeah. And I'm not sure that actually it is that satisfying her going off on her own because in the end of the day, we don't want to be on our own. Mm-hmm. But Except we're going maybe through. sometimes we need to be, you know, and it feels in some ways like Flora too. Yeah, or the storytelling needs to, to, needs to reinforce the idea that before you are with somebody, you need to know how to be on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, Shirley MacLaine running back to Jack Lemmon from Fred McMurray in The Office, who's a, who's a, who's a heel. She runs to the mensch and mm-hmm. then her life is complete and yeah. she won't commit suicide again. It's very satisfying for 1960 or 59, whenever that movie was made. But for 2023, we're, we're going through an era of redressing all that 
inequality for women mm-hmm. and all that weird judgment about how women should be. And that's a very necessary process to go through cinematically to make sure that that's true. But then the funny thing is at the end of the day, you know, like Billie Eilish can say, like, what am I made for? Mm-hmm. And it's a really good question. Mm-hmm. And but it's depressing. And in a way, you yeah. know, what you could say at the end of it is the only thing you're made for is love. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's yeah. a love for your kid or a person, but we don't want to be on our own. We have to go through the fire, but actually we want to connect. Yeah. And I think my movies are about that. I was just trying to think, you know, I feel like the end of Flora and Son does a really good job of establishing that while also upending the whole boy meets girl idea. I think Once does that. I think Sing Street, even though I was reading where you suggested maybe Sing Street should have ended with them dying in the ocean, which really would have been a different version yeah, of this. that's the side Park version. <laughs> exactly. But it, Flora and Son, it's like a bait and switch that's not there where you've got the title and then for so much of the movie you're watching this develop, this relationship develop on screen and then as the movie continues, you're like, no, this movie's called Flora and Son. That's what it's actually about. And it kind of lulls you into almost seeing past what the actual thing is, which is, it's, you know, it's such a fascinating reminder of what that actual love that you're trying to talk about is. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to play with that Mm -hmm. and to go, no, you can't, you can't go off with the love story right now. And you shouldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got to be anchored back to the title of the movie. Yeah. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. I was thinking about how the girl in once has a child, but it's kind of just like, um, you know, it's a really young child and it's like more of like a plot factor than a relationship. And yes. this is such a specific relationship. And you yourself have kids uh, who I assume aren't toddlers. And I have a, you know, my oldest son is seven, but he's already getting to that point of life where like he has things he's interested in. And if I don't want to keep up, I got to go do it, too. And that's a really mm-hmm. interesting time for a parent where this kid who you have created kind of starts taking you by the hand and taking you somewhere you don't expect. And I wonder if that aspect of that relationship between Flora and Max came from you personally about, you know, watching your kids change you with what they care about. Yeah, I I think a little bit, I mean, it was more my relationship with my own mother Mm. and I was Max that Mm -hmm. I was looking at. But there definitely were areas where, because I have a seven-year-old as well, where I would, that would tally into them. Then I'd have to ask myself, or, you know, I'd be trying to write a scene about my mother and me and remember what that was like. And then my kid would run in the door and say, stop, stop writing, let's do something. Yeah. And then I'd go, oh, that's interesting. Now I have to actually, now I'm being forced to actually confront the thing I'm writing about, which is do I spend time with this kid or do I ignore him and go on writing? Yeah. And what's my relationship? You know, what is it like to be Flora and have a kid? Because I'm thinking of it as 
what's it like being the kid to my mother? Yeah. Um, and that the big realization, well, not the big realization, but one of the things in the movie is, you know, when she sings at the end, we fucked this up so many times or whatever she's singing. Uh, we've we've tried it and we've always messed it up. Let's get it right for once. And she's like, and then she concludes that with saying like, I'm not living in your life. You're not living in mine. Yeah. And it sounds banal, but it's actually the key in a way to the movie, which is for her and for their relationship. But also for many parents, it's like, I shouldn't be trying to get into my kid's life all the time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, having a kid isn't just waiting for them to become an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, waiting for the kid to get into my life so we can go to the cinema together or, or talk. It's a joy. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a compromise of like, let's meet in the middle. Like, let's find let's find the 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 game that we can play together. Totally. That that doesn't completely bore me as an adult, <laughs> but also that you can figure out. And, you know, I can think of the amount of times I've tried to jump ahead in the trajectory with my son where he wasn't ready for American in Paris or <laughs> Tom Waits music. <laughs> <laughs> and and then like all of a sudden he does get something and you're like oh I tried that two years ago and it was too early because I was too eager to get him past his beautiful childhood which actually I shouldn't be eager to do but yeah. I also shouldn't want and you know and no more than no, no more than should I be getting up all in his stuff and and validating everything that he's doing yeah and you know so so when he plays me a shitty song from a terrible. Hollywood film or Netflix movie, I'm like, that's not a very good song. <laughs> that takes courage. That's a hard or thing I to do. Or I play him something. I play, I don't actually say that because I don't want to jump on his stuff, but I play <laughs> him something better and hope that he'll see. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know, but I do think we're getting into a very strange world of crossover between kids and adults where kids are very keen to like get validation from adults. That's interesting. And they shouldn't. They actually shouldn't because they won't create new work and new art if if they're looking for validation from old people like me. Yeah. But aren't the old, I mean, you know, I don't think either of us is holding the keys to a Hollywood studio, but don't you have to on some level appeal to what people 30 years older than you want to make no. art that can be seen? Not, well, not, in, not in the art that I grew up in. No, I don't, don't, I don't believe so at all, actually. I think that, I think that that homogenizes everything. Yeah, it definitely and makes does. everything very polite and very respectful and very... You can't take a risk if you're trying to appeal to your mum. Yeah. Like, I didn't want my parents coming to my gigs when I was in a band. Did they come? And in fact, my, da my father came to a school gig that I did when I was about 15 or 16, and it was awkward. Yeah. And I didn't like him there. And then I was in a band sort of professionally, if you will, from sort of when I left high school... And my parents never came. And it would have been weird them coming down. <laughs> it would have been weird them coming to a rock concert. Um, and because I, 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 it's different from sports. Like you want like your parents to show up at your sports game. But there's a privacy that kids, that young adults need. Mm -hmm. And don't get up all in that. As, so a, as a parent. Is the implication of Florence and then that they, you know, they have this moment, they come together through music, but that Max is going to get to continue to make his own thing that his mom has nothing to do with. Is that the hope? Actually, yeah. 
That, that, I mean, it's a good question because I'm probably selling a slightly different thing with the movie, which is like get with your mom and play and figure <laughs> it out. But I mean, that's a dysfunctional relationship. But I actually, uh, you know, we're getting off the subject a little bit, but I think that I did not, my generation did not want to appeal to their parents' generation. They didn't want to watch the same movies as their mm-hmm. parents. And they didn't want to. So when my kids ask me to watch Pixar cartoons, I'll do it. But mm-hmm. I don't think they're good movies for adults. They're not good movies for adults because they're 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 cartoons. They're drawings. They're for they're for children. And I don't I don't the fact that they've got some clever jokes in them or some adult voices that I know it, it it's not for me. I'm an adult. I need Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton drinking mm-hmm. and rowing. Well, yeah, when your kids get older, then you can watch Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf together, and then you, <laughs> then maybe never watch a movie together again if you watch that one with your kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that might be the way to end it there. Yeah. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back later this week. Find us in the meantime on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. We're all at VanityFair.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new a translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 